Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. Right, great. So here we are. We have our guest in studio, economist Dr. James Galbraith is with us. Thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. Yeah, Dr. Galbraith, tell us a little bit about yourself and your illustrious career. I'm so excited, but I'm a big nerd when it comes to economics <laughs> and politics. So tell us a little bit about your background, just so our audience can can know exactly who we have in our midst here today. Okay, well, I'm an ordinary college professor at the University of Texas at Austin, and I've been there uh, for more years than I can count now. I had an early career uh, on Capitol Hill. I was uh, in the early 1980s staff director of the Joint Economic Committee of the U.S. Congress. Uh, And during my uh, academic career, I do what academics do. I teach students, I write books and articles. Uh, I have spent a lot of time working on the measurement of economic inequality and trying to understand the forces behind it in the United States and around the world. Uh, so that's been a major piece of my uh, my my life. Um, but I've also been a kind of political gadfly uh, and commentator on a wide range of issues, including over the last uh, year or you know, six months or so that the pandemic, which obviously has been a preoccupation for everybody. And to some degree, an economist has something to say about the effect of the way in which this kind of an event affects our economy and the way, um, uh, what we have to do to deal with it going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 100% correct. And, and yeah, just an ordinary co- uh, college professor kind of uh, is, is, much, much, uh, you know, of a simplification of your career. But um, I really appreciate (laughs) the depth of knowledge that you bring to the, especially the state of affairs that we have with the coronavirus pandemic fallout. So let's talk a while we're just well you know there there are certain perspectives that that are useful. And I do think I have some of those under my belt. Sure. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, let's talk about that, because that's something, like you said, is kind of on everybody's mind, right? You know, we are all part of the economy uh, in our individual households and our businesses and our jobs, and um, everybody's been affected by the pandemic. What's your general read on what's happened and where we are? Well, I, it's a pessimistic read, and one which I think where it's helpful to be, you know, rather brutally honest about that. A great many economists tend to believe that when the economy gets a shock, it will bounce right back, and there are others who believe that well, maybe get a shock and you can pump some money into the economy and it will bounce right back. And my view is that neither of those perspectives really captures what's happened. Uh, as a result of this uh, this event, 
pandemic, which it hit us. Uh, I think it has exposed some vulnerabilities in the very structure of our economy uh, that are going to be very difficult to overcome and are going to require a great deal more by way of imagination and action uh, in order to to restore a, uh, a reasonable functioning of the economy. And there, there are a couple of things which, which you know, trouble me a lot. One, one of them is that much of what the United States does most successfully in the world is very advanced uh, technologies, uh, information, aerospace, energy, uh, which actually we supply to the whole world. Uh, and it's very hard to, if the demand from the whole world goes down, it's very hard for the U.S. government to actually uh, you know, restore that and make it work again. A, a nice example is aircraft. We have one of the two major commercial aircraft producers in the world, but it obviously sells to an, you know, a world market. It's not just the United States. Uh, when most of the airplanes in the world are on the ground, people are airlines are not going to be buying new ones. This is a problem that we have to we have to face. It's not, it's not going to go away easily. Uh, so that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is has to do with the way. Uh, jobs are, have been created in this country. Most of the jobs that we've created in the last 30 years, and certainly in the last decade or so since the big financial crisis, have been services jobs. They've been jobs that uh, involve people doing things for other people. It can be restaurants, it can be bars, it can be the travel industry, it can be uh, spas and resorts and casinos, it can be hotels, it can be uh, uh, amusement parks, and all kinds of things of this nature, coffee houses, uh, lots and lots of things which have sprung up all, all across the United States and all of our cities and towns. Uh, and those jobs, they're basically, everybody's working for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And this, if, if the jobs go away, then people's incomes go away. They don't patronize those establishments. They can't stay in business. Mm-hmm. And you see this in, all the way through the, um, uh, you know, in every city and town of the country, you see boarded up storefronts and you see, you know, small business owners, medium-sized business owners who basically said, I can't do this anymore. Right. Uh, and that's going to be a problem that's going to take a lot of work to restore. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on target with those analysis. It's what definitely I see here in Southwest Florida. We also have the combined you know, blessing and curse of being a largely tourist-based economy as well, which absolutely just the bottom sure. fell out. Sure, sure, and that you're right in the in the in the thick of it. It's just, in some sense, many pieces of our economy. I was talking to some people who were, you know, out in Las Vegas uh, uh, some weeks ago, and I said, "What, what, what are we going to do?" They're entirely dependent upon people doing things which are basically leisure time activities. And uh, you know, the reality is, when you have a public health crisis, and when you're when you're scared for your own even well beyond the public health crisis when you're when you're uncertain about your own economic future and whether you're going to have a job or if you don't have a job these are the things people curtail and so we really have to think about how to how to keep how to get through this and how to keep how to keep businesses going and how to keep uh, how to get people uh, out of the, uh, the the cocoons that they're that they're going to enter uh, quite reasonably, uh, once once the the you know, the public health danger has 
been dealt with if it can be dealt with. Yeah. Well, and, and that aside, that's very current. But my work here in Southwest Florida, I have done a lot of research myself, not as an economist, but as a social scientist uh, and community development um, specialist here in Southwest Florida. And I've done a lot of work on workforce and education and analyzing how our economy is set up. And we have 91% of our businesses are micro businesses with 21 or 20 employees or less. And the spread of the types of businesses, we have a handful of big employers, including the school district, the health system, and, and the local government. Sure. And, and then a lot of very low end retail jobs, tourism-based jobs as well. So there's not a significant diversity of the types of jobs and in, in industry in our area. And that's been a concern for me for a while because um, – and the other thing that I describe that we do have going on here is what I call the donut economy. We have uh, the low-end workers, workers, and then we have a handful of entrepreneurs and CEOs to this area – very little in the middle in terms of middle management, both jobs and talent. And um, that becomes a problem, for instance, when we had Hertz relocate their headquarters here because they couldn't get folks to come here and work in those mid-level professional jobs um, because of that lack of diversity in the economy and because of the effects that it has on things like affordable housing in the area as well, including and also the trailing spouses sure. component. There's no job for, you know, a, a couple of peers if they come down to take that mid-level professional job. So what do you think about that in terms of the, you know, economic diversity and what regions like Well, it's going to be, it's obviously a, a major problem, not just where you are, but in many, many uh, places. And the way you deal with it uh, is by, you know, and effectively you need a form of, uh, of institutions that can provide those jobs. Uh, characteristically, uh, and the reason why you get some uh, areas which are more successful is that you may have, a, for example, a very strong uh, public university which is located in the region, and that not only attracts a, a group of of professionals, but a lot of the students who come through who become engineers, who become managers, who one kind or another, tend to stick around, and so you end up with 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 poles of attraction, and there are lots of them across the country uh, that are you you know successful ways of of building up that middle that middle group that you that you find is missing where you are. Um, but the point is that in order to do this uh, in any region, you have to have um, a, uh, you know, a decision taken to uh, provide the kind of anchor institutions that are somewhere between, uh, as you say, the, 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 the civil service jobs, the federal government, the school district, uh, and, the, and, the, and the low end service jobs. Um, and for that matter, though, while you're thinking in terms of a region which is heavily dependent on tourism, you've got to also think about how to keep the the, the businesses that provide the flow in jobs are still jobs and people need mm -hmm. them. 
how to keep them in, how to keep them uh, operating through this. Uh, and I, I think that, that that we need to be thinking in terms of cooperative models. We need we need to be thinking in terms of providing the support that enables people to uh, to keep their 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 shops open. Uh, they um, and, and I know this is done in Germany, for example, that the municipal governments are funded to to chip in and provide on around 20, 30 percent of the uh, of the cost structure of local businesses and uh, provide income replacement for local craftspeople and artisans and so forth. And that, uh, uh, you know, enables, enables them to get through this um, and enables them to continue to use the services uh, that other people are providing, which is the crucial question. If we don't take any each other's washing, then everybody's laundry gets dirty. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And I love that perspective that you bring to it because I, in my space as a community development specialist and small business proponent have looked at the return on investment of such, you know, public expenditures is what happens. The, you know, the, the, um, a magnifying effect that it has to give a, a relatively small amount of money to a small business, um, versus that same amount of money to a big business or, and, you know, subsidies or things like that. You get much more community impact when you provide those tools and supports for those small businesses to stay in operation. So as you're looking at the state right now with, with the coronavirus pandemic fallout, which I am 100% convinced is going to be the biggest failure in history, we're going to study this for years to come as to what happened here and how the United States was, um, you know, knocked off track for it. Um, but anyway, I digress on that point. But knowing that we're in the middle of that right now, how, how, what can we do? What should we be looking at in terms of trying to get our economy uh, back on track? And not even necessarily back on track, but retooled in a way that's going to really work for American people. Well, the first thing we have to do is to get the epidemic itself under control. Uh, and uh, the reality of that is that we haven't, as a country, done a very good job. Um, we've done a very, in fact, very poor job. Uh, and it's not actually under control. And so long as that's the case, uh, they, uh, it's going to be very hard uh, to make any strategy work because people are going to put their, their health first and foremost. And because you have um, a lot of, uh, you don't do anything else as the pandemic goes on, people are going to come under extreme economic stress because they continue to have rent, mortgages, utility bills, which uh, well, their incomes have gone away. Uh, so a, a really serious uh, another try using all of the of the tools that we now have available that we now sort of understand what works uh, uh, to get this thing um, sorted and to suppress the suppress the virus itself is probably the first and most important thing that we have to do. Uh, but once we've done that, um, then it seems to me we still have a very, very large task. Um, and it's, it's, it's a couple of things. You have to think about in terms of the region where what do you want your economic future to look like? Um, and how do you make uh, build on the assets and the 
advantages that that you have uh, to uh, make sure that it that that you can achieve um, certain you know the reasonable and reasonable goals. And obviously, where you are, you have you have, you have certain advantages uh, that can be capitalized on. You're not a tourist deficit destination for nothing it's uh, you know uh, okay. by all accounts a wonderful place to be uh, and um, the uh, so th- there's there's an element of thinking strategically about what 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 you want the region to become and then there's an element about thinking as if you like tactically or, or in a in a bridging manner about how you get your existing enterprises uh, uh, through this, so that they can they can they can be part of the uh, of what you eventually choose to become. Uh, and I, I think both of those things have to be have to be thought through and acted on uh, as you get the public health problem under control. Um, yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. And you're right; we do have a lot of great things going on here. And it's, it is unfortunate that um, we get, you know, we are at the risk of these shocks because of some of these things going on. But the, um, the thing that is so striking to me that you said very early in your response there was that the first, the first step is to get the virus under control. And, you know, I, it seems so simple, right? It seems like this is something we should have had. Uh, taken care of a long time ago. But I feel because so many elements of the pandemic response have been politicized and indeed not only politicized, but kind of attached to political identity, especially things like the masks that. Oh, no question. Yeah. Yeah. The conversation around that. Hey, (laughs) if you're worried about the economy, you have to take care of this first. That seems to have been like that's out the window here, unfortunately. There, there was a very big misfire early on, and uh, in which a, a great many people took the view that there was a choice to be made between controlling the virus uh, and having a, a robust economy. Uh, and so you've got a lot of pressure to reopen businesses. Uh, that uh, was that was that was premature, and it was it was uh, also I think very counterproductive uh, because once people realize uh, that the virus is not under control, businesses can reopen, but they're not going to succeed in the long run, and that's that's uh, that's where the real um, I think for it was a very big problem and it was a political problem uh, I, I'm, I live in Texas and we saw that very strongly with a lot of pressure to say okay let's, we've, we've done enough let's get things back on the tra- on track reopen businesses and put up with a higher level of, uh, of, of uh, put, in fact frankly put up with a higher level of infections and hospitalizations uh, and uh, the reality is that people don't like that and then they're, they're obviously not going to come out of uh, whatever self-protection that they're taking and, and if they don't feel comfortable with a larger situation. Uh, some people will, but a great many will not. And, and when they don't, then the businesses are all going to come under under financial stress because they, they do require to be successful. They, they, they have to have customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you, you, know, you don't have that, nothing, nothing's going to work. So, yeah, uh, 
the the fact is in order to get the virus under control you need a push that is on a whole sequence of things masks are obviously one thing you need to have uh you, you need to have a period where you basically do not have uh, uh, uh gatherings of 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 more than a handful of people in any one place because those events spread the spread the virus around um and you need you need to take a number of other steps that will that, that can get the thing under control you need to be able to support people as they stay uh, um, isolated until you break the transmission. You break the trans- transmission, you get the caseloads down, then, then, then you're in shape to say, okay, we can move to the next step, which is what the countries that have dealt with this successfully have done. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And that's what I think people kind of forgot along the way is that as the the economic the swift economic effects right the the shocks early on when the parts of the economy closed down mm, when yep. that was hitting people there was like a panic and you know particularly folks on the right were going okay we got to open 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 but it wasn't the whole picture of what needed to happen which was no we need to control this the pandemic first then we can you know re build the economy but we you know we we've got this but i ask candidate for congress all the what what can we do you know part of me i don't know we can we threw it out the window we're kind of in well there's no question that having 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 blown it uh you know the first in the first round uh, having not succeeded, it's going to be much harder to persuade people uh, to cooperate with another effort. That is just, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but it seems to me that pending either an effective therapy, and so far as I know, uh, the therapies have not advanced all that much in the last six months, or a vaccine, which we won't really know about for the period that it takes to get through uh trials and even you know in some sense one the vaccine is not going to be a sure thing until sometime after that uh, so uh, the uh, seems to me at least for this interim period uh, the uh, uh, there's really not much choice except uh, on the ones the choices between accepting this very unsatisfactory situation that we have and giving it another go as uh, trying to get the whole epidemic suppressed. Right. Right. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to look at the numbers. It's heartbreaking to look at the economic effects, people losing their jobs and closing their business. And I just, it's, we had a lack of leadership in the beginning and, and then, you know, turning it into culture and identity politics. That's not the question. There's no question we had we had both a lack of leadership, very uncoordinated uh, uh, situation across the states, um, and uh, that of course makes it difficult for the states are relatively more aggressive to hold the line, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I don't know, it was complicated by the fact that we're in a political season, uh, and the existing administration wanted as quickly as possible to give the impression that things were. First of all, they wanted to minimize the effect of this, uh, and they, that caused them to be very, very slow 
uh, to do anything. And in fact, they did very little. Uh, and secondly, they wanted to uh, uh, you know, give the impression and try to persuade people that it was over and done with, which it isn't. Uh, so they're, they're fostering the illusions, which are going to cost people their health and, in many cases, their lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So given your experience in both working on the Hill, the, the economic side of it, knowing that probably very little thing is going to be done between now and the end of the year, given the campaigns. <laughs> What what do you see as the next steps, uh, the roles that Kong will need to play in helping to restructure our economy and kind of mend things that have happened here as a result of the coronavirus? Well, um, I suppose in the in the very short run, you're right that it's going to be extremely hard to get anything significant done. Uh, and what we should hope for is enough, just pushing enough uh, funding and support into the system so that people can get through the next few months. Um, and we can see how the how the health situation evolves. Uh, but you're right, it's going to be extremely hard to get anything done in this season. It's very, uh, let's just say, the timing is, is, is unfortunate and very bad. Uh, depending on the outcome of the election, uh, then I think you have... Uh, you know, you can look at January as a target for a real mobilization. Uh, and then you really have to try to do everything at once. Uh, you have to, at the one time, really get the public health situation under control. Um, and secondly, uh, to, to, uh, to, to begin to, to launch uh, the kinds of transformational economic steps that would uh, enable us to, to have a, a, a path, a, re- a viable path going forward. And those, I, I think, are basically three areas that I sort of touched on. One is, is, is the reorienting the advanced and successful sectors so that they're serving a purpose that they can, in fact, serve uh, in dealing with major national priorities. And that's also construction, lots of things uh, which are otherwise going to be idle that need to be... Um, brought to life uh, and given things to do, which we need. We need to rebuild uh, our cities and towns. We need to rebuild our transport system. We need to obviously transform our energy system. There are lots and lots of things that that, that should be done. Uh, that's not the job creator for most of the population, though. And again, come back to the second thing is to get a model that enables the services sectors uh, to um, first of all, to hang in there, and secondly, to eventually gradually revive as the people become more confident. And for that, I think a job guarantee is a very good idea because if you can guarantee people's job, people a job in the public sector at a modest living wage, uh, then what you would do is basically eliminate the fear of unemployment. And that would create a re- great reduction in, in people's anxieties over whether they'll have income. And so the whole the services economy would benefit from that. Uh, and then the third thing is you have to deal with people's debts. Um, and that's a really complicated question. But the fact is, people who have been sheltering in place, who have been out of work because of the pandemic, it's not their fault. Uh, and yet they have rent, they have mortgages, they have utility payments. And I know there are a lot of mom and pop 
landlords out there who uh, are you know have rental properties and they have taxes that are due and mortgage payments that are due um, and so you've got to figure out how to get um, fundamentally debt relief out to the whole uh, broad population uh, and that's inevitably going to mean that you can't you can't continue funneling money uh, just up to the shareholders of the banks and uh, to the to the you know there's incredibly tall pyramid of concentrated wealth in this country uh you've got to re-establish re the financial independence and uh stability of the of the middle class uh and that's going to be something which i think is going to be a very big challenge for 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 uh, the future administration so you've got those three things it seems to me if you can focus on those as as a, once you're once you're past the major public health challenge that would be, um, you know, begin to get somewhere. I'm right on the same path with you. And I've been talking a lot about that jobs guarantee as part of a necessary, um, you know, component of the we're going to need at the beginning of the Congress. I've, I've, uh, that we're going to need. The thing about a job guarantee, which is really, it's a really, really good idea. Uh, and, the, you know, of course, there are lots of things to be done uh, and, the, and things that people are equipped to do. And there's, there's teaching and there's caring and there's environmental work and there's, you know, there's, there's just the life for the community can be animated. Uh, but the important thing for people who are working in the private sector and people who are working in small businesses and so forth to recognize is that the people in the public and the jobs guarantee can be hired back uh, into the private sector and, and they will provide also the customer base for the private sector. So there is really essential for people who are in the private sector to understand that this is not a competitor. This is an ally. Uh, this is something that's essential to making sure that the kind of economy that we have, the private economy that we have can, can be viable going forward. Otherwise everybody's sitting at home husbanding their, their unemployment insurance, right? And they're saying, gee, I, I better not spend anything because who knows if I'm going to have a job in six weeks uh, when I still have a rent payment or a mortgage payment to make. Right? What you want them to say, look, I've got a job, no problem. I can go work in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in a guaranteed job uh, and I'll have an income uh, and therefore I can resume, resume something more like normal life, which means they can patronize all the shops and and uh, other facilities, coffee houses and bars and restaurants uh, that they're used to used to to to, to patronizing, and then the, the people who run those and people who work in them will also have jobs. That's what you need. Well, that's great. I like that guarantee can help us get back to a normal life. I think I'm going to. Um, but so you know, let's you know, this has been such a great conversation. Yeah. yeah. Let's. Let, what final thoughts do you have for us here? You'd be thinking about, you know, what should I be thinking about as somebody who's looking to serve the people of Southwest Florida? What should I be thinking about in terms of helping get back to that normal life? Well, I mean, people need to have the courage of their convictions and the willingness to work together to achieve them. Uh, 
and I and, you know, wish you all the best of luck uh, in, in in articulating that and, and becoming one one of the one of the voices that will help us all achieve that. Uh, but you know, this is very much a common sense problem, uh, and uh, that's where I think ordinary people who have a great deep reserves of common sense uh, can can feel some confidence in speaking up. Uh, they all work together and resolve the first question, which is the health question. We all start working together to make the second problem, which is the economic problem, uh, somewhat less dire, somewhat more tractable than it is. Absolutely. So the first issue we need to address is the pandemic. Then the second issue is retooling our economy uh, to work for everybody. And I think that that's the smart way. That's how we should have done it in the first place. And that's absolutely how we're going to uh, moving forward. Once we get over this ridiculous um, culture war on some of the components of it. So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Galbraith for being with us here today. If folks want to reach out to you or learn more about um, your perspective, what should they do? How should they get in contact with you? Or maybe are there some books on in this area that they should look at? Uh, well, a, a book would be nice, but it takes longer to write one than, than, than and get it out than I've got. I, I've just published a piece, as you, as you know, in The Intercept, uh, on 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 the which I think is probably people can go there and look for it, uh, and that's that's probably the best expression of of the basic case I've been making to you this this morning. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us here. It's been an enlightening conversation, um, and I I'm going to keep keep fighting for our economy to get us back on track. So, thank you everybody for joining us, and thank you Dr. Galbraith for being here with us. All, all, the, all the best of luck. Thank you. You have a great day. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybanyer.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanyer.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Banyer.